What would it take to arouse your life, to experience more connection, more pleasure, more realness in and outside of the bedroom? I'm August McLaughlin, and this is Girl Boner Radio. Do you ever find yourself thinking more about your appearance than pleasure during sex or worry about a partner's pleasure more than your own or worry about orgasm taking too darn long? In this bonus episode that ends with a Girl Boner homework assignment I have for you, so keep listening to the end, I'm excited to share my chat on orgasm-blocking thoughts with Kara Lowenthal. If you've ever listened to her podcast, Unfuck Your Brain, you know that Kara is a powerhouse. As a feminist confidence coach, she teaches women how to overcome insecurity and anxiety by identifying ways society has taught us to feel insecure, and then by using a concrete method to change these thoughts to feel really confident. When I asked Kara about her personal journey, she told me she was working as an attorney in the social justice spheres, and while that fulfilled her to a certain degree, she had this basal level of anxiety all the time. She worried about ways other people perceived her and grappled with body image issues. So being a seeker, she dove into therapy and yoga and meditation and tried a whole range of approaches to get to the root of these issues. All of this led not only to a ton of personal growth for herself, but to this platform that merges cognitive psychology-based techniques with feminist theory and is impacting so many people. Before our conversation, I had read an article Cara penned for Mind Body Green called Four Ways You Can Hack Your Brain for Better Sex. I love this topic and wanted to know why she chose to explore it. I think that a lot of feminism is rooted in the understanding that women are taught or people socialize as women are taught to view themselves as sexual objects and to understand their sexuality as not being an internal lived experience, but as being something that's determined by other people and as exist at like, we're taught to believe that our experience of desire should spring from being desired by someone else. And so in that sense, like we're this object that is supposed to be like ignited by someone else's gaze, which is not how I think people socialized as male in our culture are socialized to think about sex. I think they are socialized to believe that their sexuality is internal. It springs from within and is like targeted at (laughs) different people or objects. Yeah. So like, and to me, that's the source of so many of women's body image issues. Like you can add, of course you add in all of the like unrealistic depictions, the media, you just add in the like anthropological aspect, right? Which is that in any human society, whatever, well, in any human society, people are like obsessed with food and rituals around food and bodies and body modification. It's just like a human thing. And then, you know, um, whatever is, uh, hard to achieve is valued and associated with eliteness. So when there's not enough food, being fat is considered beautiful and unattainable. And now we live in a society where there is a ton of food. And so being unrealistically thin is considered to be attractive and unattainable. So I think like it all built, there's so many intersecting forces, but when you put all that together 
and that women are people trained so socialize as women are taught to think about food in their bodies like every five minutes their whole lives mm-hmm. <laughs> it comes up all the time and then sex is an obviously like an outgrowth of that too like how do you how you feel in your body how you think about your body what you think when you look at your body like if you spend all day thinking about how your body should look different and you ate too many calories or whatever else like, of course you don't feel sexy at the end of the day Right. And you don't women don't know how to connect to that sexuality. I think people socialize as women don't know how to connect to that within themselves. And like, what does it mean to feel sexy in a way that really has nothing to do with whether anybody else looking at you thinks you're sexy? Completely. Yes. And that really does seem to take an awareness of what our thought patterns are, which I know you talk a lot about and some of the limiting thoughts and some that become so second nature and kind of embedded into us because of these cultural messages that we aren't even aware that we're thinking them. I loved your article that you wrote for Mind Body Green. You talk about different hacks for your brain for better sex. Why was that important to you to discuss actually challenging those those brain waves, those thoughts we have? Yeah, because I think that we tend to think about sex as a biological experience. Like we're attracted to certain people and they touch us the right way or the wrong way. And then we get off, right? Mm -hmm. It's like math, like the building blocks. And I totally believe that there is some element of like, whether you want to call it pheromones or sexual chemistry, whatever it is, like I've certainly been surprised by that in my own life, right? Like, I think we've all, you know, kissed someone we thought we were really attracted to and felt nothing and then kissed someone we were kind of mad about and it was like amazing. So some of that is there, but I just think we really underestimate how much our thought process impacts our feelings of desire our um, interpretations of what's happening during sex are, especially for people who are socialized to be kind of, whether socialized as women or who are kind of socialized to be pleasers in some way, or to like worry more about the other person's pleasure. All of those kinds of thoughts really impact it. And I, I think like, I, this is one of the areas where I've done a lot of work on my brain, but I think I also had a leg up in that I've, I grew up in a pretty sex positive kind of household. So it was like a shock to me when I found out that there were people who, you know, have a hard time orgasming because they can't turn off their brains. And I realized that this work completely applies to that. So I really think it's the most empowering thing you can do because sometimes you're in a relationship with somebody and you don't feel that much desire with for them or vice, but you don't want to break up with them, right? You would like to feel more desire for them, but you think, well, there's no way to do that, you know, or we have to like, go through the checklist of like, well, we tried lingerie and we tried candles, (laughs) like Mm -hmm. whatever you're supposed to do. Right. And so to know that like you actually can create desire and create the feeling of being desirable for yourself again, like, you know, the stereotype would be, is always that the masculine partner wants more sex than the feminine partner. And I'm using that not to mean male women, but just whoever, you know, identifies in those ways. But I I don't think that is true. Like a lot of my clients struggle with it the other way around. And then they think they can't feel desirable or sexy because their partner has a lower libido than they do. Mm, And so like those brain hacks, I think, are so important for both things. It's it's both like how to make actual sex you're having better. But also, let's say your partner doesn't want to have more actual sex and you can't control that. How can you still get some of the satisfaction that you're attributing to the sex you want to have without having to have it? Completely. Yeah. Such wonderful points. And I hear from so many people who internalize lower desire in a partner as there's something wrong with me, there's something wrong with my body, you know, we, right. because we're also very uncomfortable talking about this stuff. But I think so many people struggle with that comfort around being 
naked, which I think often has to do with something deeper. And a lot of times it's, it's more, you know, emotional nudity, I guess you could say it's, it's Mm -hmm. vulnerability as well. Um, but there's so much pressure to look certain ways. And if you're sitting there thinking about how your butt looks or how your boobs look or how the size of your penis or whatever it is, it's so disruptive. So one of the Mm -hmm. thoughts you talk about breaking this negative pattern is worrying about how you look naked. How can we change that pattern? Yeah, I think there are a couple of good hacks. I mean, one of the, I love that I use the word hack now, like I'm like a neurocoder or something. <laughs> I like don't know anything about computers at all. <laughs> I like it. To be clear. Um, so I think there are a couple of things on the body image level, anything you do to work on your body image will help. Right. And so I talk a lot about the power of neutral or baby step thoughts, um, which I always say like, they're not inspiring enough to be on an Instagram post, but they actually will help. Right. So if your thought about like your stomach is my stomach is disgusting, I have to hide it. Yeah, it would be great if you went immediately to thinking I'm a beautiful goddess. Right. But most people can't jump that far. And so they just give up. And so I really recommend practicing thoughts like this is a human stomach. Right. Just like very neutral descriptions. Mm. I also think, you know, one of the few kind of studies we have, not the few studies, the few phenomenons of body image that we have good studies on are that visual exposure to traditional mainstream media with unrealistic body types promotes body dissatisfaction and that visual exposure to real people's bodies and bodies that look like yours promotes visual satisfaction. So, you know, looking at photos of people who look like you and particularly if you can find them naked photos (laughs) of people who look like you. Yeah, absolutely. There's even porn that is like totally. you can feminist find, porn, right? Where they, yeah, well, I mean, you can truly. find porn of for anything. Right? Exactly. Totally. There's like, something for everything. And I there's like something for everyone. Yeah. yeah. Well, and there's also, there's this website and a lot of the body positivity people are posting more like, you know, the topless photos on Instagram and stuff. But um, there's also, there's actually this website, I think it's just called the breast gallery, which is just like hundreds of photos of women's natural breasts. And you see like what a range there are. Um, so you can totally find images of whatever your, and everybody's got their own thing, like whatever your thing is that you're insecure about looking at images. Now, this is not going to feel great immediately because the first 10, 15 times you do it, what's going to come up is your own brain's disgust for yourself. So you're going to think that it looks gross, but you have to keep doing it. Repeated exposure helps you. Mm. Um, so those are more like reconditioning your visual feed, but then there's also, The thought, like one of the things I describe in that article, I think, is that I used to have a lot of, you know, body insecurity and, you know, I worked on this stuff in stages. So I like worked on believing that men would be, um, I happen to be straight, that men would be attracted to me on dates or whatever. And then, but then my brain was always like, yes, but as soon as you take off your clothes, it's all going to, he's going to (laughs) know. And then one day I was like, wait, we live in the age of the internet. So I'm a fat woman. People on your podcast may not know that. Like, if this man likes to go on dates with fat women, he's probably searched for porn of them, right? Like he knows totally what it's going to look like for better or worse. This is one of the plus sides of porn is right? like nobody doesn't know what the thing they like looks like, right? It's all just your own self-critical thoughts. So that's one of the things I also is like, this person is attracted to me. Humans are really good at visualizing other humans naked. That's one of our favorite things to do. Every time we create a new technology, the first thing we do with it is see how we can see naked people with it. <laughs> yeah, so, it's totally true. 
Yeah, like we're like, oh, the telephone. Can we talk about naked people? Oh, cave drawings in Pompeii. Can we make them naked? Like that's yeah. what we do. Yeah. So it's, the idea that somebody's attracted to you, that people are attracted to you, but will have no idea what you look like naked is just ridiculous, right? If they're attracted to you, they like what you look like. Completely. And if you've had sex with them before and they came back for more, then obviously they like it. But we don't think that. We're like, well, they're just putting up with my gross body because of my sparkling personality. Uh, yeah, that's that, those are such good points. And I think especially in our culture in the US, it's so because there's this shroud of secrecy still, this weird sort of there's forward movement, but there's also backlash and we're still puritanical in some ways where we're, you know, the body is taboo and so we're searching even more. Like if it were normalized, I don't think we would be so I need to google what this kind of body part looks like because we wouldn't be so fixated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and because we're so exposed and saturated with a pornified version of sex, yeah, right, and like, and everybody looking only one way. So on the one hand, it's like women in bikinis with fake breasts selling cars that are like in outfits that are so revealing that in the past even your partner husband wouldn't see you that way, right? But yeah. then, but it's all of a certain version, right? It's not a true diversity. So we have like the worst of both worlds in that way. Completely. What's another really common? orgasm blocking thought aside from about physical appearance we talked a little yeah. bit about sex drive and desire what other I, things do you see well I see a lot of um discomfort with and again like I I tend to work with people who have been socialized as women so obviously patriarchy and racism and sex is bad for everybody but this is the thing that I work on um so I tend to see a lot of uh more concern for the other person's pleasure than your own and and I think that that's socialized. And so then there's a lot of discomfort with a lot of like, oh, like I don't want the person to go down on me because it's uncomfortable for me to just receive pleasure. Mm. Or I start to worry that like I'm taking too long or he doesn't like how I, you know, or she doesn't like how I taste or look or like all, it's just, it all stems, I think, from this like not, I think some, some of us are raised to believe that we are entitled to pleasure Right. And that can be like toxic masculinity run amok. The idea that you're entitled to pleasure regardless of what the other person wants. Right. But then the flip side of it is not believing that you're entitled to pleasure at all. And that even if someone's trying to give it to you, (laughs) right, Mm -hmm. you shouldn't take it or your pleasure is not important or it's more important that they're pleased. And you're like worrying if they're pleased that you're pleased. So I see like a lot of that. Like it's a sort of discomfort with not being the person to be providing pleasure at all times. Um, and that, and then that just completely is a total orgasm blocker. Cause you're like, ah, it's taking too long. You know, as soon as you start thinking that like your orgasm is taking too long, you're never going to come. Right. Completely. Oh yeah. That's so true. So to start switching that thought pattern around, I know that prioritizing pleasure of our own in general can be helpful masturbation when it comes to those actual thoughts what are opposing, like, better thoughts to have, empowering thoughts that are alternatives? Well, one of the things I recommend thinking is, like, you are, this is, like, a, a neutral step thought, kind of, because it's it sort of accepts the premise that, like, you should worry about the other person's pleasure, but that's where people are sometimes. And I, it is giving your partner pleasure to give you pleasure. Yes. Right? So you are giving them pleasure. It's never actually in a good sexual relationship, at least. No, very rarely is one person doing something that they're like, this is about equal to filing my taxes, but I'm just doing it for the other person. Right? <laughs> yeah. Like, they're, even if they're not into that particular act, they're still doing it because they think it's sexy when you're excited. 
right? Or like they want to give you that experience. So that's like the first step I recommend is just thinking like I am giving this other person pleasure. They're getting pleasure by pleasing me just the way that I do, right? Like when I please them, it's pleasurable for me. And then I think the second one is just there's all this deeper thought work that's not even just about sex, but is about um, we live in a really kind of a culture that's very influenced by capitalism and by like Puritan literally thought, you know, religious (laughs) thoughts from the founding. And so we have a whole kind of mess of thoughts, I think, about pleasure and pleasure being sinful or bad or lazy or indulgent and having to earn pleasure and productivity being better than pleasure. So there's like all of this kind of that kind of work that I think has to get done in a thought work way that is like the tendrils extend out far beyond sex, but they really impact sex because sex is an activity where you are not really, unless you're trying to get pregnant, and <laughs> you're not going to produce anything other than pleasure. Completely. And I love what you said about the partners delighting in your own pleasure because that is such, usually it's a huge turn on and and even just thinking about that and bringing light to it, I think is so, so important. You mentioned having gone through some struggles with your own kind of body image and, but that you grew up in a sex positive household. I'm curious how all of this work with clients and with Unfuck Your Brain, your podcast, how has all of that impacted your sense of self and or your sexuality? Oh, that is a huge question. <laughs> Let me think about that. I should also not oversell. I mean, are my house of sex positive in that nobody said sex was bad and we got good sex ed? I mean, it's not like there were orgies happening. Um, I didn't like grow up in a free sex commune or anything. Um, my parents are going to hear this and be like, what is happening? Uh, how did it impact my sense? Well, I just, my whole, se- I mean, my entire relationship with myself is different. Um, I mean, what the core of what I really teach people is that the relationship with yourself is the one that matters most. It's really the only one you're ever having. Your relationships with other people are happening in your own brain. They're mostly projections of your thoughts about yourself. And true confidence isn't, I think really true confidence deep down is not even thinking I'm amazing, although that's part of it. It's really like, I've got my own back. Like, I am not going to turn on myself. I'm not going to abandon myself. I'm not going to throw myself under the bus based on what I think someone else thinks about me. And I'm sort of going to be here for myself. And I know that I can manage whatever thoughts and feelings and experiences I encounter. And like, to me, that's like the core of the peace I feel about being a human that I think most people don't ever get to experience because they don't know about this kind of work. I know it's a little vague, but I don't know if that answers your question, but that's okay. It does. Yeah, no, I think it does. And it's, it's important, I think, and helpful to hear about your growth, because I think sometimes when we want to change thought patterns and we want to improve our lives in the way that we approach pleasure and things like that, it's, it's hard sometimes to imagine what the rewards will be other than not feeling sucky. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like we just think, I don't want to feel like that. Right, but, but I don't, don't even always, know what feeling good would yeah, be. Yeah, so like what's yeah. motivating me? And and it just seems like you have grown so much um, personally, but then also professionally. And just I think a lot of people admire and respect the fact that you do share so openly about vulnerable topics. Yeah, I think it like all boils down to not being afraid, right? Like that is the – and that doesn't mean I don't feel fear sometimes, but – 
what I think this work has given me is, so I've Maybe it's instructive to give an example and I can bring it back to sex, right? In the old days, before I knew about thought work and had done this work, if I had sex with someone and then, you know, they didn't call me back or they didn't seem excited, whatever my brain decided to, right? I would immediately throw myself under the bus, right? It was like, oh, this is a problem. Something went wrong and it's my fault. And it's you body specifically, right? Like this is because of you body, you're the wrong body and you don't look the way you should. And that's why this happened. So that's what I mean by like turn on yourself, right? Or throw yourself under the bus, like you immediately blame all of the thoughts and feelings and suffering you're having on yourself and on your body and you are willing to sort of sell yourself out for someone else's good opinion of you which you can't control anyway and now if somebody doesn't want to see me again after a date or after sex or whatever else I 100% not just know intellectually but feel that that has nothing to do with me Uh, right that's that that is their thoughts and that they were supposed to come into my life for whatever it was one night or six weeks or six years. Right. And that whatever unfolded was what was supposed to unfold, not in a like God fate way, just literally that's what happened. So that's what was supposed to happen. Right. Couldn't have been any different because that's what happened. And that it has nothing to do with me and that I would never turn on myself and blame myself for that or abandon myself, like abandon myself to try to get there approval, like that I always have my own back. Mm. That's really, really powerful. And it was interesting. I don't know if it's because I've been listening to your podcast and thinking about your entrepreneurship and the way that you work with people professionally. But as you were saying that, I was thinking how analogous and parallel that is to like building your mailing list. And I remember when I would first, because, you know, you get these little reports and it would tell you how many people mm-hmm. unsubscribed. And at first I'd be like, oh my, oh my God, gosh. totally. Like, what did I say <laughs> that somebody doesn't uh-huh. like me anymore? And now I'm so, it so doesn't even phase me because I just think I only want people on the list who really want the email. And if they, if it's right. not connecting with them, they're not my people for this. And that's okay. Like, I don't take it personally. It's so refreshing. Right. And we do that in all areas of our lives. Right. And I yeah. have, and I work with like, you know, entrepreneurs and coaches a lot too, of course. And like, they're like focusing so much on how to not piss off the 20% of their list who doesn't want to hear from them. Yeah. As opposed to like, what about all you have to share with the 80% of your list who does want to hear from you? <laughs> exactly. Right. You're like focusing on, and I, and our brains do this all the time. Like my clients will be like, well, yeah, I'm dating this one guy and like, he's fine. But then this other guy I really liked didn't want to see me after the second date. Like they're like so focused on the person who didn't want to see them again. And they automatically discount the person who did because it's not about those guys or, you know, you flip the genders however you want. It's not about those people. It's you're just using them as green screens to work out and project your own insecurities about yourself. Yes. Oh, yeah. That is so true. Absolutely. I know it's really hard to boil anything in our work down to kind of one message. But if you could share like one piece of advice that you just wish across the board Um, people that you work with, is there like one theme or one bit of advice that you would offer for someone who's, who's working through that kind of anxiety that you once did? Maybe a top advice that you've heard um, along the way that meant a lot to you. Yeah. I mean, I think it's not advice so much as like a statement of what I believe to be true, which is that the secret to life is that your thoughts cause your reality and not in a like vague manifest manifesting vibration, who knows how kind of way. Mm. Like I believe your thoughts create your feelings, right? Your feelings 
motivate you to take action and the actions you take produce the results you get in your life. That equation to me is like the secret to life. It's responsible for everything good that's in my life now. And it's, and it's, there's no limit to what you can achieve or what you can experience and how you can grow when you take responsibility for that process. I so dig Cara's cognitive approach. I think it's the difference between what she called that sort of vague woo-woo content, the kind that's very just decide to be happy, believe it, and you'll achieve it, versus positive psychology, which draws on science and doesn't suggest aiming to be exuberant 24-7 or not deal with mental health issues. Our negative thoughts and feelings can teach us so much, and sometimes we don't have much control over them, and that doesn't make us weak or flawed. Factors like trauma and mental illness can really impact our thoughts and feelings in ways that we may not be able to rationalize our way out of. Please always take care of yourself first, and if you're struggling with thoughts or emotions or other symptoms that feel out of control, seek the support you deserve. That kind of work has been some of my most impactful personally, and I'm sending solidarity out to anyone who's on that path. I also highly recommend checking out my recent chat with therapist Jamila Dawson for more on that topic. And to learn much more from Kara Lowenthal, search for Unfuck Your Brain wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also join her new feminist online coaching community. It's called The Clutch and features daily thought work prompts and lessons, weekly discussions, monthly live coaching calls, and more. Find it at unfuckyourbrain.com slash the clutch. Lastly, here is that homework I promised. Turn yourself on first. This is helpful if you've dealt with this orgasm blocking thought. It's taking too long. If you've been there, you know exactly what I mean. You're so concerned that too much time is ticking by for you to experience orgasm that it's even harder to get there no pun intended. So before you next engage in sex with a partner, intentionally turn yourself on. Read an erotic story, watch a spicy film, insert a small vibrator or dildo into your vagina or rear, play with yourself with your fingers and lube, or close your eyes and fantasize. Practicing patience and not fixating on orgasm can be very valuable too, of course, but I'm also all for claiming our orgasms desiring and going after them as we so choose. So give yourself that time, the space, and the permission before any partner play begins. I can almost promise that you'll experience orgasm quicker and also a lot more powerfully. Okay, now go do it. I'm kidding. Do it whenever and if ever you want to. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. And stay tuned for more Girl Boner Radio fun soon. Girl Boner Radio is owned, operated, and executively produced by me, August McLaughlin, with technical producer and audio extraordinaire, Mackenzie Mazel, as part of the Period Podcast Network, an affiliate of Starburns Industries. Learn more about the Girl Boner podcast brand movement and book series at girlboner.org and more about Period at periodnetwork.com.